Welcome to another episode of the Empowered Plates and Empowered Lives podcast. Today is a special, special treat. I have my, well, it's the second Journey of Strength episode, but this one is more special to me because it is my first endometriosis conqueror that's here to speak and just come through these airways. And I'm so excited that you joined me on this path. And it is none other than Dr. LJ, the holistic endo expert. You probably see me posting a lot of her content in my stories just because I believe she is one of the trailblazers in my community and in my niche. And I absolutely love her. But I'll tell you too, too, too much about Dr. LJ. You already know the vibe. Vibe with me, y'all. Welcome to the Empowered Lives <laughs> right? Empowered Lives Podcast. It's time, right? We got to bring it in. <laughs> Get it, Dad. Close your eyes. Just bring it in. Y'all, it's the holistic endo expert, Dr. LJ. 25 years. 25 years working and committed to women's health, even while she was doing her own, how do I say it? Her own intentional work to mm-hmm. heal her own self of endometriosis. And the special part about Dr. LJ is she does it with a functional vibe to it. And I can't wait till you learn a little bit more about her. So we're going to get into this episode. But the first thing we're going to talk about, Dr. LJ, is what you told me before. It took you 20 was it, it took 20? me 16 years. Feels like 20, baby. 20. And sometimes it felt like an eternity. <laughs> it took me 16 years to be properly diagnosed with endometriosis. So that was 16 years. of e- even if you don't even know what endometriosis is and you're like, supercala, I know. Endometriosis, short, you can call it endo. Despite the diagnosis, 16 years of anything, right? Chasing a diagnosis, feeling like you're crazy. Doctors kind of telling you, you maybe are crazy because they can't figure out what it is. You can't trust your body. Your body's unreliable. You start kind of questioning yourself. That was what I went through for 16 years. And even once I got the diagnosis, I always call it the throat punch Thursday. Like I got the diagnosis. So I'm like, okay, I'm not crazy. That makes me feel a little better. And then it was kind of like, oh, well, do you want to just like basically shut up and go back on birth control and pain pills? And I was like, oh, I was hoping the diagnosis would like bring more answers. And so that's where like, I feel like, you know, the 16 years of getting the diagnosis was one part. And then there was the second half of the journey of now I'm diagnosed. What do I do now? Like, so how did you even know? Like, what did it look like 16 years before you got diagnosed? What was that first sign? What it, what it, what, what was it that made you say, okay, something's not right with my body. Something's going on. What, what's happening? What, what did that look like? So at the age of 14, I started my period when I was 12. At the age of 14, that's when I feel like all hell kind of broke loose. It wasn't just the little cramps. I mean, and I'm going to date myself. When you're back in PE and you had to run them bleachers, baby, I couldn't run the bleachers, right? It was back then when we was really putting in work during PE, not what they're doing now, you know, maybe just laying around, hanging out, you know. Children now a little different, maybe a little soft as butter, baby. We was putting in the work, the dodgeball, the basketball. We were doing all the things. But all that aside, all jokes aside, I could not show up. When I would have my period, the asthma was out of control. It was very weird. My parents had me on all the asthma meds. And I had other diagnoses, asthma, allergies, all of these things. And it was almost like when I got to the age of 14, 
all my meds would work for two weeks out of the month. And then two weeks out of the month, nothing would work. I would be on the prednisone. I would be on the inhalers. I was doing the nebulizers. I would have my period. I would pass out during my period. I was having hot flashes at the age of 14. Well, let's talk about when you're 14. You're still trying to figure out how to pack your lunch, take your homework, and don't forget your pads at home. Like you are still learning your body. You know, you smell weird. You feel weird. You're like, what's going on? That was me at the age of 14, but I'd be sitting in class, break out in a cold sweat, right? Just hot flashes galore. I was passing out during my cycle. I started Mm. passing out during bowel movements. Um, You know, I had a lot of extreme pain and coming from a strong military family and a very Christian family, you know, it was like told to put your faith in God, you'll be fine. You know, and I remember having this conversation with my mom and I'm like, okay, I'm doing all the things, you know, I'm like, I don't understand. The math is not mathing for me. And eventually she sat me down and just really told me like I was a strong black woman. I didn't feel pain. And that was when I was basically told air quotes that we didn't complain about it any longer. Drink some water, pray about it, give it to God. And that's just how it is. That's just how it is in our family. And that wasn't good enough for me. I was waking up, you know, there were times where I passed out in the bathroom and, you know, my mom was like calling me and calling me and then they come upstairs and what are you doing? And I'm like laying on the floor. Like, I don't know. Like I'm, what did she do? Like when she found you like that, like what was her, what was her solution to my child? Like, you know, you're passing out from, painful bowel movements. My my bowel movements were very painful and I had no idea it was something wrong with me. Like I would, and I, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I don't have kids, so I don't know how it feels to go in labor, but mm-hmm. when my period would be on and I would have a bowel movement, I would have to like hold on to the side of the walls and just try to breathe and focus just the mm-hmm. past. And I didn't know what was wrong. I was just thinking, oh, well, people say your, your periods are painful. Oh, well, you know, maybe it's just the cramps while I'm trying to poop. It, it was mm-hmm. like out of this world. Never passed out, but like, what what would your mom even say? Like, what did did she just say? I think she was probably over in her own defense, very overwhelmed, not okay. sure what to do. I was the oldest of four children, and if you if I look back, I was the one that always had some medical issues. I think they were probably up with, up to here with just all my medical anomalies, not really knowing what to do. The first seven years of my life. I was in and out of the hospital with just chronic inflammation, chronic issues. So as I got older, it was just kind of like that chronic systemic endometriosis, which is interesting because people are like, you know, when did it start? Chicken or egg? I don't know. I just know for me, I managed a lot of illnesses as a child. As I got older, the endometriosis lesions, all of those things progressed. And I just was more and more inflamed, more and more diagnoses came along. Um, So I had chronic systemic pain throughout my entire body. I had a lot of cramping, a lot of bleeding outside of my cycle, which is interesting because when you first start your cycle, it's very sporadic, right? It's not like every 30 days you can have a period one month, skip a couple months, you know, you don't really know what's going on. Your body's still learning what's going on. So very irregular periods. I had lots of inflammation and just a lot of mystery illnesses. And like I said, the biggest thing for me when I was younger is all my meds would seem to work for a couple weeks. And then now what I know when is when I was in an endo flare, may that be around my cycle or not those two weeks, maybe two and a half weeks when I was in that flare, nothing worked for me. And so I was in a lot of pain. I mean, academics were very easy for me. I graduated high school when I was 15. So it didn't keep me from learning and growing and excel academically, but it was very physically taxing, very mentally taxing. And it just drained me overall. What did it, what, what was the reason um, that people gave you when you missed your periods and it was irregular because that that was me too. And it was always, oh, well, you're a dancer. or Oh, you must be stressed or, oh, it was something you ate. And so to me, irregular periods 
were normal. Like I didn't mm -hmm. think it was a problem to talk to anybody about my irregular periods. And then who wouldn't mind not bleeding, you know, a month or two. But then I went a summer where I didn't bleed for three months, you know, and it was just kind of mm -hmm. like, well, I don't know what's going on or when it's coming. So it's just like a, a weight game. But no one ever said that was, you know, abnormal or something to consider like there's an issue so what were they telling you when you were young and you were missing your periods and it was irregular that's a good question so when i was younger i wasn't really once i kind of got that sit down of you're a strong black woman i knew not to complain i didn't bring it up you know i just did the best i could i would push through now luckily for me i graduated high school when i was 15 so even though i was young i went straight to college so then i was almost kind of like the boss of me you know i was making some decisions i could you know make some doctor's appointments i kind of took over my own health at the age of about 15 and a half when wow. I went to college. And so at that point, that's when I started kind of complaining, right? I didn't have to just go to my mom, then I could go to the OB-GYN, but the answers were birth control. Um, I had horrible cystic acne, right? So that was the first thing, oh, we can take care of that acne. I was way heavier when I was younger, dealing with estrogen dominance, xenoestrogens, toxins, you know, constipation. So I then began to voice my symptoms, you know, the acne, we got you. We got the birth control samples, right? You're constipated, you know, on the Miralax, on the laxatives, this, that, and the other. So I began to just really tell them all my symptoms. And basically I got a pill for every ill. And that's really where I started. And at some point I have to say, I was grateful, right? I was super compacted and constipated. Um, I was in a lot of pain. My bladder always felt like it was on pens and needles. I mean, it's butt lightning is one thing. If you're listening to this and you've ever had those cramps, the butt lightning, that's one thing. But I literally felt like there was barbed wire wrapped mm -hmm. around my colon, wrapped around my bladder. It hurt. 24 seven. I was always in pain. I always felt like I had a UTI. And then that's when we kind of fell a little too far into the pill for every ill, because that's when it was, they do the culture. I technically wouldn't have a UTI, but I'd come in with all the symptoms of UTI. They'd feel bad for me because I was in tears. I would always come in. So what would they do? Just give me an antibiotic. It got to where I didn't even need to go in for an antibiotic for UTI. They just had it on file. If I needed it, I knew where to get it. And so it worked, right? It would help a little, but then it got to where it wasn't helping. And then the cultures were still coming back with no UTI. But if someone's complaining of urination and burning and cramping and pain, and the end of the day, it was endometriosis lesions just inflaming my entire womb wellness area. And so that was another thing that I managed 24-7. So never really got any answers as to why, you know, my period was irregular. I think we were so busy trying to get me out of pain. I remember a professor sitting me down and he's like, look here, you're an amazing student when you're here you're present, but he's like, then you're gone for two or three weeks. And it's like, how do you explain to your male professor, right? Back then we didn't talk about periods. We weren't as open, you know, we were hiding the tampons and, you know, trying to stuff them in the purse and everything, right? Always now, asking, do you see anything on the back of me? Check my yeah, pants. Somebody do the spot check for me, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so back then it wasn't as open. So I was trying to explain to my professor that I am an amazing student and you're right, but when I'm gone, I'm gone. But it was like, you know, he's thinking everyone has a period, but I'm like, you don't understand. Like there were times when I was on my period, I couldn't leave my room in the dorms to go to the shower to get dressed. I could not get out of bed or I was in the shower one time and I passed out, you know, and the, um, I can't even think what the monitors for the, I've been so long since I've been in college. The RAs, the residents. There you go. I'm like, who are those people again? Yes. And the RA found me. There you go. And uh, it's so funny. I'm like, what is that? It has been so long. Yes, yeah, the hall I mean, monitors. <laughs> yes, basically. And so it was bad. Like either I was present and I was living life and doing amazing, 
or, you know, you'd find me on the bathroom floor or you just knew if I wasn't in class. I mean, they kind of got into where they knew I had an illness. There was something wrong with me. And that's where it really worked on my mental health as well, because I felt like I was always broken. I was the person that was like, yeah, I want to go to the barbecue. Yeah. You know, I want to be at the track meet. Hope my period doesn't come. Hope I don't have this mystery illness pop up. Right. So then people stop asking you to do stuff. And that's hard in college. Right. You want to party. You want to have fun. But you also want to make good grades. The grades part was easy. I love to learn. I'm like, I'm a sponge. So that was really easy. But the social life part, the mental health part, and then just the whole thing of sometimes I'd be in tears just wondering what's wrong with me. Like, why am I always sick? You know, why is it that my meds work two weeks and then they don't work for two? Why is it that I'm having all these health issues and I almost feel like my doctors are avoiding me because I keep coming. They don't know what to do with me, you know? And so eventually I got referrals for specialists and different things like that, but it only took me so far in my journey. I agree. I think you hit on something earlier that I wanted to talk about when you talked about your male teacher. How do you explain that? How do you think the endometriosis journey would be different if period talk wasn't so taboo and people, men, women, girls, brothers, sons were more aware of menstrual health, periods, talking about pain. Um, how, how, how do you think it would look and feel for us if we actually had that openness to where it wasn't such a taboo thing to discuss? How, how do you think our journeys would be different? I think there's two answers I'm going to give to that. So first, I think it would make a huge difference, right? I'm just going to throw my little business out here. As a single 44-year-old woman, I go on these dates. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I have to throw this out here. And then men will figure out what I do. And they're all the first thing they say, they're like, oh my God, I need you to talk to my daughter. What's your podcast? They're like, I'm a single dad. I got it. I mean, like, I can't believe I'm saying it, but this is real talk. Like the last few dates I've been on, they're like, oh my God, they're like, as a single dad, you should offer a conference. I literally, I say this again, can't believe I'm saying this. So I think and I agree a lot with of that, Dr. LJ. I agree wholeheartedly with that. And that's why there's always a segment at the end of the show that I dedicate for that because I had two line sisters that passed away of cancer and they had daughters. So now they have just fathers, you know, here with them as they navigate through yes. womanhood that don't know or don't have those conversations are not comfortable. So like, I think those dates are really yeah. putting something in your airways to let you know these conversations you know, actually they want to know they want to know the fact that they want to know that means there's a need there's a demand for it and it's yeah it, it should be open enough for them to embrace this because they should be a part of that conversation and i know you're going to go to that second point but even when it came to below the belt and watching that documentary and seeing mm. one of the fathers you know being with his daughter the entire time i don't know where the the mother was for one of the the ladies, but he, he was there the entire time. Like, I just feel like it shouldn't just be a mother conversation. It shouldn't just be a womanly conversation. It definitely needs to just be a open regularly conversation because it's health. We don't do that for diabetes. We don't do it for heart disease. We don't right. do it for, you know what I'm saying? Thyroid conditions. We don't sexualize it or genderize it to where it now needs to just be talked about over here. And mm -hmm. I, I, and I really want us to really embrace it a little bit more but go ahead with yeah, the second. i think there's a lot of stigma right so there's a lot of single fathers raising children you know there are dads who are like oh let your mama deal with it you know i remember asking my dad something he's like oh no call your mama i mean oh no that's not my thing and so i think that's part of it so there's the miseducation there's the taboo around it you know there's even grown men that are 50 60 years old that still are weirded out by a woman's cycle and it's like this is a natural healthy thing the way i describe it 
it's your fifth vital sign. That'd be like you saying, I have a broken leg. I need to have surgery. And they're like, I'm going to check your blood pressure. Oh, I don't believe in that. Well, what do you mean? Like you're going to have a surgery. There are certain things that we're going to check your vital signs before we schedule you for a surgery, before we start treatment. So why is it that our period's a fifth vital sign, but we're like, oh yeah, I don't believe in that. I want to turn it off. Now I'm not demonizing it. If you have to turn it off, if it helps with quality of life, but you have to realize that you're bleeding every single month, whatever's going on, that's detoxing your body. That is a normal function. Like you said, nobody wants to talk about poop. Let's be honest, but when you're constipated and you're impacted and you're in pain, and like you said, you're gripping those stalls, like I've been there, like you're gripping the stalls, you're doing all the rocking back and forth, all the things, trying to make your own squatty potty in the public bathroom, because maybe you're trying to just get this junk out. Then it's like we feel this weirdness and it's like we just need to be open about it. Now, on the other side, the other thing I'm going to say, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I want us to have more education about period health. But here's also the issue. They've taken endometriosis and pigeonholed it into a gynecological issue. And it's anything but that. I literally just gave myself chills because yes, there's going to be the hormonal component. It may exasperate your cycle and your period. And that's why it's harder for a lot of us to get the diagnosis. But what if you're not having any period cramps whatsoever, but you have this weird, crazy back pain, this hormonal headaches, this acne, you know, you're, you're chasing these diseases, you know, you've got the IBS label, it's real bad. So maybe it labeled you with Lyme and autoimmune and you're just kind of, I, re I met someone actually recently this weekend endometriosis, adeno, and fibroids, 49 years old and still suffering. I literally, and I never feel bad dropping gems and giving her information, but a conversation with her and she literally came to tears because she's like, what do you mean? She's like, I was telling my husband, as soon as I get to menopause, this is all ending. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like I, there was part of me where my heart literally, it just gets me. My heart went out to her. Cause it's like, in her mind, she's like, I've suffered for 49 years. Once yeah, I'm in menopause, mind. I'm free. And it was explaining to her that endometriosis, which I will define, cause I think this is a good time to find it. It's not your uterus. So she was like either that, or I'm going to hurry up and have a hysterectomy. And I literally had to tell her standing at my booth, talking about essential oils and natural health and functional medicine She's tearing up. Her husband's like, kind of like, are you kidding me? He's like thinking I've been holding on, you know, we were waiting. And it's like, once again, it's one of the misconceptions. So I want us to have great education, but then we need to also remember that endometriosis is not a gynecological issue. And so this is the perfect time to define endometriosis. So some of y'all are like, this is good information, but I don't even know what y'all talking about. So let's circle back. So endometriosis Long word, short version, endo, E-N-D-O. If you say it, don't worry. We're not offended. We totally not get it. All. I know even when I got diagnosed at first, I didn't even know, like, I could barely pronounce the word. <laughs> so it was, it I was, was looking at the like, break this down? What yes, is this it's like, you're going to need a whole lot of phonics <laughs> on this one, right? So endometriosis is chronic systemic inflammation throughout the entire body. It is uterine-like tissue found outside of the uterus. I repeat uterine like tissue found outside of the uterus, which means everything in the body is fair game. Outside of the uterus can be your ankle, your knee, your shoulder, your bladder, your diaphragm. I've had endometriosis lesions removed from my sinuses three times and I've had four sinus surgeries. So 
anything throughout the body, chronic systemic inflammation throughout the entire body, uterine-like tissue found outside of the uterus, those endometriosis lesions create their own hormones. So they bring their own hormones to the table, their own estrogen, their own progesterone. They inflame the lesions themselves. They inflame everything around it. And then to make it a little more interesting, autoimmune-like factors. So if you're listening to this right now and you're like, oh, that's weird because I don't, you know, none of these are really ringing a bell. You could also have silent endo, zero pain, zero suffering, no murder scene periods. Everything's great. You get on the fertility journey. Things aren't really making math isn't math. And you start doing some research, you go in for a surgery and they're like, oh, you have lesions all over. Your organs are tied together, all of these things. So you can have silent endo. Now, most of us with the endometriosis diagnosis had some type of pain or discomfort. I don't know that if I didn't have the pain, I wouldn't have been searching. Like despite all my other illnesses, I, I would, the pain was really the, the red flag for me, the passing out in the bathroom. Um, you know, let's talk about some of the symptoms. So symptoms for everyone can be different. So I'm going to just rattle off some symptoms. I'll tell you mine and then I'll tell you some more generic ones. But remember, I could line up 10 people that have endometriosis. There will be 10 different lengths of time. And that I can tell you which ones were mine. So you yeah, can go with Yeah, so friends. we can all talk about different diagnoses. So everyone's timeline is going to be different. Took me 16 years. I recently just had a client come on. It took her six months. I'm like, that's amazing, right? Because most people, it takes eight to 10 years. And the brown and black community, we lean in towards more of that 12 to 16. I mean, sometimes can be 20 years. Some of you are suffering in silence right now, had no idea that there was even a disease that encompassed all of this. So endometriosis symptoms, I'll talk about the hormonal ones, right? The period cramps, what I call the murder scene periods, you're running back and forth to the bathroom. Um, you can have a lot of cramping, a lot of pelvic pain, a lot of bleeding within your cycle and outside of your cycle. And that's one of the biggest ones that people miss. They're just like, oh, I have two periods a month or, oh, my periods are, you know, two and a half weeks. Possibly, right? I'm doctor, not yours. I'm not diagnosing, but typically there's going to be that component of where those endometriosis lesions are inflamed. And that's what you're having, not necessarily two periods. You can have hormonal headaches, hormonal acne. Sometimes with all of that chronic inflammation, you can have vision changes, hearing changes around your cycle. So I had a point where I had wear contacts, but there were times I'd have to take them out and wear my glasses, which were stronger because my vision would change. I would get very inflamed. And so like, literally I had to have two different prescriptions. You can get very wow. inflamed in your gut area. Now that can look like diarrhea. It can look like constipation. There's also something called endo belly. So I want to distinguish between that. Now there's bloating of where I'm bloated. I'm going to put on a baggy t-shirt, right? I'm going to wear a sweater, right? Well, some of y'all we're it's pretty hot here. I'm in Arizona. So it was like 90 degrees today, even in November. So we can't do the sweater weather doesn't quite work here. We just going to be bloated. That's just what it's going to be versus an endo belly where it's distended. But I, the thing is, it's it's hot to touch. Sometimes it will radiate heat um, and endo belly like legit. I'm just going to bring it to you. A bra would be uncomfortable. Your leggings, your baggiest pants will be uncomfortable. Even sometimes wearing your underwear, just that elastic coming in and touching that skin, that's endo belly. So there's the bloating of where you're like, oh, I ate something that doesn't work for me. And then endo belly where you could be hungry, starving, but still not able to take down water or food. Like you're just so uncomfortable. You can have that chronic pain throughout your body. A lot of unexplained diagnoses. Most people with endometriosis, have the diagnosis of IBS. I mean, one way or another, they don't know what's going on with your stomach. Most of you have had 
tons of colonoscopies, tons of endoscopies. You know, you're always like, you know, they're rotor rootering, trying to figure out what's going on. Did you have when to have a colonoscopy before you were diagnosed? So I, where am I at? I've had five colonoscopies. So I'm 44 mm -hmm. years old. I've had five colonoscopies and guess what? Having one November 22nd. The only reason I'm just throwing out all my business out here. The only reason I'm doing this colonoscopy is I actually haven't talked about this. So you guys are getting the tea before I talk about it on my podcast is because I had a lot of inflammation in my gut about, I think it was three years ago because I was looking at my Facebook memories. God saved me. I was about to have a surgery. So 19 centimeters of my bowel popped up, popped out. So mm. I was in excruciating pain. I went in, you know, they gave me the whole, I think you ate too much for the holidays. And I'm like, I don't think that's what it is. And they rushed in and was like, you need to have an emergency surgery. However, the physician that was willing to do the surgery told me he had been working for four days straight, um, but he was willing to get a coffee and do the surgery. And that's where I had to advocate and be like, I think I'm going to pass. Um, if you've been up for 96 hours straight during the scandemic, I'm good. I'm not going to be catching a surgery. So I went to a specialist and then the day of my surgery, they did another MRI the night before I was in horrible pain. So essentially my bowel got really inflamed. It popped out. And then it retracted. So that was awesome, right? You're like, thank God, I don't have to have surgery. You know, it was a miracle, legit. She was about to go on a knife the other day. <laughs> yes, honey, I was going. However, I believe what we're seeing is I'm having some gut issues on this left side. And what we think happened is when it retracted, I think it got a little pinched up. So that's why we're going to go in and do a colonoscopy. Like I said, you guys are getting the tea about it, which I will talk about on my Instagram, my podcast. You're just getting firsthand information. So that will be my sixth colonoscopy. But I had so many colonoscopies like and it's interesting when I get a new doctor, they're always like, oh, they just assume a cancer diagnosis. So they're like, oh, are you in remission? I'm like, well, yeah, my endo's in remission, but there's no cancer diagnosis. I just have had, you know, six colonoscopies or I'll have my sixth one, which is rare for 44. Typically, most people have only maybe had one, but if you have endometriosis or you have like fibroids or any type of serious gut issues or inflammation, you know, for us, a colonoscopy is like nothing. You're like, you already got the prep down pat. You know what to do. I'm good. And it's going to be even better this time because I have my essential oils. So I'm, I'm good to go. Um, we're going to get into that. I really want to, I want to get into gut and brain health. But before you get into that and you talked about your symptoms, my symptoms, and maybe it was silent endo, but I felt <laughs> like it wasn't until it was the whole, um, really bad bile bowels, but it was just like, I thought I had food poisoning. It was like the real nauseous, sick feeling. Didn't mm -hmm. think it had anything to do with my period because normally with my periods, I didn't get sick. Like maybe okay. the first few days I'd have cramps, but it wasn't like, Oh, nothing like what most of our endometriosis conquerors have like at all. Mm -hmm. So it was just like regular. So I didn't associate my sickness with the, the period being on because mm -hmm. I, they never really, I never associated them to being alike. A few months after that, that was in April, a few months after that in August, it was debilitating. I was balled up on the on the bathroom floor. I could barely move. I couldn't get comfortable in my bed. I was hot. The hot sweats were already already there. And I just chunked it up to like family. Like my, my granddaddy was in the military. He gets hot sweats. He sweats in his sleep. You know, so I was just thinking, oh, is that? Didn't realize thinking about my thyroid, a hormonal, you know, imbalance, anything like that. I was just like, oh, it's my family. Facial hair. Facial hair, mm -hmm. always had facial hair. People in my family had it. Never thought it had anything to do with my body, like something being a sign or a symptom. But right. when I was driving to work and I was just driving and that pain hit me and I went to swerve and it was like an 18 wheeler, like you just lose 
the strength in your body when that pain hits sometimes. Like, like you know, it took you out to where you passed out. And it, it was just like, I got to get that only little bit of strength left that I have in order to pull back into my lane to make it where I needed to go. And I had never felt that pain like that before in my life. And it was my nurse practitioner who looked like me and um, that I knew and had a relationship with who told me, you just need to go to the ER. We need imaging. We need to see what's really mm-hmm. going on. We can't just go on what you feel, what, what you see coming out. It's like, we need to see, we need to get on the inside. And that's when they saw, like I had a cyst on my ovary. Um, one was ruptured and I had no idea. I always thought mm-hmm. I was healthy. LJ. I was a dancer. I felt like I looked good on the inside. I felt like I ate pretty well. I wouldn't say all the way well, like we're going to get into this gut and brain health, but mm-hmm. I, it, gut and brain connection. But it was it was those symptoms and it wasn't that long. And then to go and have laparoscopic surgery and come out with stage four endo, like you said, it was everywhere. It was mm-hmm. on so many different organs in my body. And I had no idea. I didn't have the consistent, like you did, pain since 14, leading yeah. me up to know something was wrong with my body. So like you said, you line us up, you put 10 of us up on the screen and we tell our stories. Mm-hmm. None of that is going to be that. The lower back pain was there though. And I just thought maybe I'm not hydrated. You know, maybe mm-hmm. it's like my kid. Or you're a dancer. You're like, maybe I'm overdoing no. it. <laughs> I didn't stretch enough or I need no. to stretch too much. You know, ballet, all those other things. And it's just like, it, it it was mind boggling to know that it was as in, it was as intense as it was. And I had no idea until you have the surgery. And it's like, the surgery is going to let you know exactly what's happening. Other than that, you just have a feeling and you need right. to know. Because if you don't know, you're going to be like the lady you, you, you saw who think I just have a deadline that when my period is, I'm going to be okay. And that's not the case. Like it's not the case at all. But I think it's important what you said, lots of different symptoms, back pain, facial hair. And this is what you need. You need someone that's going to take a full holistic approach because what happens is when you went in talking about the facial hair, if you would go to the doctor, they're probably like, Oh, try this. Or let me send you a dermatologist. Your back's hurting. Cool. Let me send you over to pain management, physical therapy, but you need someone that's like, okay, all this, you know, is adding up and they're, it, they're all connected. I say it all the time and people laugh. Your head is connected to your body. Like, I know you know that, but when you're having horrible acne, do you look in the mirror and look at that pimple and be like, oh my Lord, what, what should I do to balance my gut health? No, you're like, where's the curology? Where's the pimple patch? You know, what am I rubbing? What concoction is Pinterest going to tell me to put on this pimple? Cause you're trying to get it right. You're not thinking about your gut health. But like you said, leading into that gut brain connection, everything is connected. And so we try to silo the period pain from the sciatic, from the back, from the chest. Um, I would have nosebleeds, you know, just out of any. So it was interesting. Every time I had a period, I just thought I bled out of every orifice because that's what I would have rectal bleeding. I was bleeding vaginally. I was bleeding through my nose. I just assumed that was normal. So then to hear from someone else and realize everyone else wasn't having that issue, I was like, huh, this is interesting. You know, I, I didn't know. I would just have nosebleeds. You know, yeah, I spent a lot of time in Colorado and people like, oh, it's dry there. It, it wasn't, no, it wasn't That's just because I had a dry. Yeah, I mean, I was also in Oklahoma and Texas is very humid. So I'm like, that's where I'm like, okay, it was literally the endo lesions and they would just bleed. You know, I would get a lot of sinus pressure pain, a lot of dental issues. You know, eardrums were always bursting and full. You know, sometimes, I mean, I'm just loud naturally. But then there were times I was super loud because I couldn't hear, right? Like I literally could not hear because my nasal patches, everything was just so compacted. 
Yes. I was just like, oh my goodness. But you you mentioned about that gut and brain health, um, gut and brain connection. I know you were talking about like sometimes your body has to go in that fight or flight mode. And mm -hmm. I was just like, that. Yeah, so let's talk about fight or flight. Endometriosis, okay. whether or not you're in pain or not, because some of you are going to be like, oh, I'm not in pain. This doesn't include me. This is the deal. The way I like to talk about endo is endo is a small fire that is always burning. No matter if you're feeling amazing, I don't have any. And so I'm going to start by saying this. As far as endometriosis is a diagnosis. I don't name it. I don't claim it. It is not me. It is my specialty, but I don't have period cramps. I don't have painful sex. Like all of that stuff, I'm past that. However, the chronic systemic inflammation, that small fire, each day I make habits to decrease the flyer, fire versus when you are in a flare, which is why we need to be proactive about some of these things we're going to start talking about, not waiting till you're in pain and then on Dr. Google trying to figure out, oh, what do I do? No. Number one, Dr. Google probably ain't going to give you the right answers. Number two, you're in pain. You're not going to be able to order the stuff, get what you need. Like you need to have it in your toolbox. So when we talk about that, it's like you have to realize that that small flame is going to have you in fight or flight. Fight or flight is great when you have to, you know, run out and get your dog so it doesn't get hit by a car or your boss is like, hey, LJ, I need this project done within two hours versus 24 hours. OK, cool. Like I've got to go. But that stressful go is that cortisol is just for short periods of time. That's an external stressor. What we forget when managing endometriosis is that that diagnosis is an internal stressor. Yes, there is the stressful boss, the stressful spouse, you know, the person that, you know, scratched your car just a little bit and, you know, all of that external stuff, right, that ticks us off. But the internal stressor of a small fire burning 24-7, that can have you in fight or flight. We're going to get nerdy for a second, but it's all going to come together. If you're in fight or flight, your body is pumping this cortisol. It thinks it's running from a bear 24-7. Whether you're sitting on the couch and, you know, having chips and relaxing with your family or whether you're stressed out and you're trying to get a big project done. You know, I was busy this weekend. I'm on the go. If your cortisol is pumping 24-7, it's not putting any energy into letting you properly digest food. You cannot heal when your body is pumping out all that cortisol 24-7. Your, your body feels like it's in danger, right? It's like it doesn't have time or energy to balance hormones beyond the fertility journey. So when you start thinking about that gut-brain connection, if your body always thinks it's under attack because of that small fire and you're not doing anything to damper it down, when you get into that big flare, it's almost like it's kind of too late. And I'm not saying that if you're in pain, just throw your hands up and suffer, but you have to realize that that internal fire is burning 24-7 that gut-brain connection, if your body is always stressed out, if your nervous system is revved up. When I say nervous system, um, people always think sciatic pain. I don't know why. they like, my back is good. Your nervous system is basically a matrix that goes throughout your entire body. When you have a revved up nervous system, it's almost like, I'm super tired. You're, you know, you're wired, but tired. You're laying in the bed at 11 o'clock at night. You're thinking about the dishes you didn't do. Your back is hurt. And I forgot this. I forgot that your mind is racing, right? 24 seven. You're not going to be able to heal. If your mind is racing like that, it's almost like you feel like sometimes like you plug your finger into a socket and you just can't, which I'm not recommending. And I've never done, but I know what that feels like when you're just so charged up, you can't calm down. If that is what's happening, that's going to cause leaky gut. That's going to mean more constipation. You're the person that's eating all the organic foods. You're doing everything, clean eating and, you know, all of that. And you're still feeling horrible, right? You're eating the salad. 
the salad's going in whole, it's coming out the other in whole, right? It's not, you know, you're seeing the spinach, the lettuce, the vegetables, your body is not able to do all the other things it needs to do, like get quality sleep, have libido, sex drive, clear skin, all of that. If it's so busy fighting that internal fire. Agree. And I think you were talking about um, before I was on one of your uh, webinars and you were talking about the nervous system and you were saying mm -hmm. how it is such a need to have a strong foundation. Yes. Like the need for a strong foundation should not be taken lightly. And I, I like that you said it's a it's a small flame that's continuing to burn. And it's, it's either you're you're throwing gas on it by the decisions mm -hmm. you're making and not being intentional about being intentional or or. You know, you're not like you said before, you are mindful of it. So you're making different decisions. You're being intentional about it. But it was something you just said about the gut. And I think it was about the detox. And I know you mentioned this as well on your um, webinar about making sure that your detox pathways are open, because if yes. not, like you said, with that salad, it's still going to mm -hmm. just be leaking out and not necessarily cleansing the body like you want it to or what you're mm -hmm. intending it to do because those pathways are not open. Can you break that down and explain that to like, you know, basic terms of what you really mean about being at a at a place where you can actually really open your pathways to truly mm -hmm. do a detox and not just say, oh, I'm detoxing. So I'm just going to yes. go and choose these foods. Yes. And look here, I'm going to lean in for y'all. Now I'm going to come for your throat just a little bit. I'm going to see it all over social media. I'm coming for you. It's November. Everybody going to want to detox in January, honey. Everybody going to get slim thick, lose 20 pounds. I, I want to tell you right now, I have nothing against setting New Year's resolutions and goals and detoxing. But here's the thing. You can start today. I just felt like I needed to throw that out because I know when we think detox, everyone's like, I'm going to poop my brains out. I'm going to feel better. This, that, and the other. Here's the thing. I have nothing against detoxing, but what I am seeing, especially in the chronic illness community, no matter endo, PCOS, fibroids, especially fibroids, because if you have fibroids, it's essentially toxins and hormones wrapped together. You have a detoxification issue. So when we start detoxing, the issue is, is we're pulling toxins out of our cells. Those toxins could be birth control you took 10 years ago, the Tylenol you took two weeks ago, the air you breathed when you went down on vacation to New York and you got all the smog in, the Bath and Body Works candle, I'm coming for you, right? That you're burning, that's putting xenoestrogens in the air. No matter where you're at, you know, even me, right? That photo back there could be off gassing something when I first got it. So toxins are everywhere. I'm not coming from the high horse, but this is the thing. Think of a bucket. When your toxin bucket is full, that is when you have symptoms. I repeat, mm -hmm. when your toxin bucket overflows, that's when you have the fibroids. That's when you have the cyst. That's when you have the estrogen dominance, the acne, et cetera. If you can decrease the load in your toxin bucket, then you're good. But society, and that's just the misconception, when we want to do a detox, we want to, you know, poop everything out. We want to pee everything out. You know, we, we're in a rash and we're like, oh, I'm rashing. That means I'm healing. E no, right? So before you start to detox, you have to make sure that you open up your detox pathways. So with your detox pathways, you want to make sure that everything is open. So detox pathways are something as simple as deep inhales and exhales. Your lungs are a detoxification pathway. Your bowels, sweat, urine, all of these things push toxins out. 
The issue is, is that you buy the supplements, you do this, that, and the other, you start the detox, you start pulling the junk out of your cells, but I'll use myself for example, but you're constipated. What sense does it make to pull toxins out of your cells if you're constipated? You just pull the dirt out, it has nowhere to go, and now you're super nauseated. You're even the more constipated. So before you start to do any type of detoxing and start doing a healing protocol of killing stuff off, open up your pathways. Simple ways to open up your pathways, lymphatic massage. Super lymph, super simple, you know, open up your termini, do some lymphatic massage. Dry brushing, I did a video earlier, you're welcome. I got one right here. Dry brushing, very simple. This isn't like a $200 healing modality. I get the messages all the time. It's so expensive to heal. Baby, I think this is $15. Like it's not <laughs> expensive to heal. Sometimes it's going to be some simple, non-sexy stuff. Castor oil packs are another thing you can do. Increasing your water, making sure you have Himalayan salt or sea salt, some type of electrolytes. Jumping on the trampoline with your kids, with your nephew, your nieces, your neighbors, right? Moving your body, dancing, jumping, all of these things open up your detox pathways. But it's really, I know we talked about it a little bit on that webinar. Now, if you guys want the tea on the webinar, you have to send me a message and I can try to get you that webinar. But we talked about different ways to assess your pathways. For example, if you're the person that loves to work out, but you're like, LJ, I go to these Zumba classes all the time, Dr. Johnson, and I never sweat. That lets me know that your lymphatic pathways are not open. You probably have swollen lymph nodes in your neck, you know, behind your ears, possibly in your groin. If you're working out, you should be sweating, right? So if you're not sweating, that lets me know that that drainage pathway needs support. My drainage pathway that always needs support is my lymphatic system, partly because I had breast implants, had them for eight years, removed them. So the heel is real, right? I still got to detox all that drama. So it kind of sits in my lymphatic pathways. And then my gut has always been more sensitive, not to mention the 19 centimeters of bowel, which I think got a little kinked up with my miracle three years ago, right? The bowels just don't move as easily for me. So I have daily things that I do to make sure my bowels move on a regular basis. If you're constipated, this isn't the time to detox. If you work out and you don't sweat, this is not the time to detox. You need to open up your drainage pathways. And I'm just giving you kind of the high level. But biggest thing I would say, especially because you're going to listen to this again around the holidays and you're going to want to detox and all of this, I'm telling you right now, you're not going to get anywhere. Even if you drop five pounds or 10 pounds of water weight, if you didn't really open up your pathways, you're just going to be recirculating those toxins. I'm going to take it a step further. For people that have a uterus, especially if your detox pathways and your drainage pathways are not open, you're recirculating those toxins. So for example, we just came out of a weekend. We going into the holidays, baby. We about to eat, drink, and be merry. But here's the thing. Every time I'm throwing this in as a bonus, every time you drink alcohol, Think of it this way. Your body has a conveyor belt that's going to your liver. Your liver is your master detoxifier. So this is the other thing. If your liver doesn't work properly, you've got gallstones, um, you've got the gallbladder pain, you've got all these different things you need to support your liver. When you bring in alcohol, yes, I said it. When you bring in alcohol, it knocks all your hormones off that conveyor belt and prioritizes the alcohol. So for mm. example, if you have fibroids, fibrocystic breasts. You're the person that's like, oh my gosh, I had a drink on Saturday. I'm still struggling over here on Monday. If that's you, or if you have a sensitivity to caffeine, you really need to work on opening up your liver and your gallbladder drainage pathway before doing any detoxing, because all you're going to do is pull the toxins out of the cells, 
they're going to come through the body. They're not going to know where to go. You're not pooping. You're not peeing, right? You know, everything ain't flowing and going, and you're just going to recirculate those toxins. Man, I appreciated that, that LJ, because I, I was just like, when you said that, I was like, whoa, I had no idea. And I think that's such a common misconception because that's all you see is, mm -hmm. you know, detox, 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 and all these different foods, vegetables, or things that you can take out to do a detox. And no one says, but did you prepare your body for right. the detox? So when right. I was on your webinar, you said that I was like, whoa. And so like, I've been telling other people about it. They're like, well, when's that episode going to be on the podcast? And I was like, you said, yeah, I am going to ask. And thinking about the detoxing, um, the next big thing that I really loved about it was the magnesium bath. And yes. you're really talking about the importance of that. Can you first tell us why is it important to make sure magnesium is a part of your lifestyle and then hit on how um, magnesium baths are beneficial and what can you do? What does that look like? for Yes. You if I could airdrop magnesium to everyone, I would. I really would. So magnesium, why do we need it? It does over 300 things in the body. It gives you energy. It regulates your bowel. It helps with cellular health. It helps with your mitochondria. We could go a whole nother hour about what it does. It do everything. So it'd be doing the most. Here's the thing. When you're managing a chronic illness, Remember when we were talking about that small fire that makes your body think you're running from a barrier, always in a crisis. When your cortisol is going up, 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 let me follow this hand. As the cortisol goes up, your body is stressing, you're dumping minerals. For example, 8 a.m., you drink that super healthy smoothie. You're feeling amazing. You and spent about $20 on that organic fruit. Baby, you doing all the things. Put your picture on Instagram. You feeling amazing. Get to that office. Somebody cusses you out, ticks you off. You get upset. You get all stressed out for three hours. I'm going to keep it 100. All those minerals that you just brought in, all those nutrients, as soon as you get stressed out and your cortisol goes up, your body starts dumping minerals. Magnesium mm. is one of the ones that most people are deficient in, especially if you are blood type B. I'm a blood type B'er, so you need the magnesium. Now, there's different types of magnesium. I'm not going to sit here and there's the, the glycinate, the oxide, the citrate, the L3 and A, all of them. There's tons of types of magnesium. But what I like is the magnesium chloride. Yes, I believe it's a magnesium chloride, I believe. That is for the bath, right? You can get magnesium flakes. You put it in the bathtub and you basically get in there and let it soak all up. Now, one thing I am going to say, send me a DM if you want, but a lot of people will get in a magnesium bath and they're like, oh my gosh, I was allergic. I had to take a Benadryl after. Here's the thing, lean in. You could be allergic to magnesium. Highly doubt it. If you get itchy after applying any type of magnesium lotion, magnesium gel, or magnesium bath, if you start getting itchy, here's the thing. You're deficient. Your body is literally pulling the magnesium through your pores. That's why you're itchy. So I gotten text messages where people were like, what's going on? I'm like, you're fine. You're fine. Just back down. Just calm it down. Start doing it on your feet. And eventually, and I've had it happen to me too. When I was really deficient, I got in and I was like, I think I, I was like, what's you know, you start checking the, getting in the bag check the label because you're like, I'm pretty sure this said magnesium, but I feel like I'm having an allergic reaction. It's because my body was pulling it through my pores. Now I'm not deficient. It relaxes my body. I feel amazing. It helps with my bowel health, but it also helps me sleep. And a lot of you that are in mm. fight or flight, remember that small fire? Your fire is a bonfire 24-7. Exactly. And that magnesium bath. Now, it's not going to be the end-all be-all, but it can be very supportive. Um, another thing I'll add in if you need help with sleeping or you want more energy, magnesium L3 and 8. But I would really just 
very basic because I know I'm like water hosing you guys with tips. So you're going to listen to this one several times, take a lot of notes. Magnesium baths are a great place to start. Also, I'm going to add one more thing because I just can't help it. Magnesium lotion and gel. You can put it on the bottom of your feet as well to help you sleep. And it's great for pain. So why do we love magnesium? Because it does everything and it's amazing. <laughs> so should we start with the lotion or should we go with the bath? I would go with the bath. Or That's actually, this is what I would say. I would start with the foot soak just okay. in case your feet get itchy. That'll let you know you're deficient, right? Maybe. Yeah, let's back it up. I would start okay. with the foot soak. See what happens. If you get a little itchy, you know you need to raise your levels and then go to the bath. Some of us are a little more aggressive. If you, I'm, I'm telling you, I was on Lunesta and Ambien and all that stuff when I was younger. I would have did anything to sleep. So for me, I just jumped right in the bath. I was like, I need it. And I put about two or three cups in there. I mean, I'm not just putting a little okay. dab of do yet. I'm, I'm trying to get some good sleep, right? Okay. Because when I'm sleeping, that's when my body is healing. And that's, we'll have to come back for another episode. I like and talk that. About we that. will. I'm, I'm definitely yes. down with that because I, I yeah. want to learn a little bit more about that. The other you thing you were talking about oil. was the essential oils. And you were talking about like just putting something on your lip or putting something on your arm. Or you were talking about essential oils. Um, and I know that essential oils is a big thing for you. Um, like you really are an advocate of essential oils. I got um, some right here. I'm like, they're near and dear to my heart. So oh, what are some them. of those essential oils that you just need to keep on standby? Like the, the main go-tos, like you just have to have them. And what are those benefits of those essential oils and why you should keep them on you? Main ones, let me think. I would say frankincense, but I know that one's a little pricier. For my endoconquerors. And remind me at the end, we'll break down Endo Warrior versus Endo Conqueror because I don't think we touched on that. For yes, my Endo Conquerors, Clary Calm would be number one. Naturally balances your hormones, help with the hot flashes. It's not going to add too much of anything. It's very intelligent. Plant medicine is taking the most potent parts of the plant and really going into your cells. Your body knows what to do with apples and carrots and spinach and all of these things, right? It doesn't know what to do with GMOs and, you know, corn syrup and all that. It's like, what? It doesn't know what to do. So when you have those natural constituents, it comes in and knows exactly what to do. So it's going to help balance your estrogen, balance your testosterone, your progesterone. It's also going to clean your estrogen receptors. We're just going to say that's going to be on you have to remind me of all the things we're talking about on episode two, because estrogen receptors are when you're taking in synthetic things like plastic from water bottles, medications, it starts to really like gunk up your receptors. I'm all about analogies. I'm trying to think it's almost like the battery that has gunk on it and it just won't quite charge. Like it'll charge a little. You've got to clean that receptor. That was the best one off the fly. So Clary Calm is really great with that. Um, it can help regulate your period. It can also help decrease ovulation pain. So that would be my number one. Also remind me, we'll put a link for this. Um, as far as pain, I would go for, you guys are in luck because I'd be loving my essential oils, baby. I may have rubbed some on my neck a little earlier today. So if you're watching the video, deep blue stick is my favorite for pain, right? Now, this is where for people that use grandma's Bengay, baby, we an upgraded. We have moved on to deep blue stick. So this has a lot of great pain and re pain relieving and inflammation. So it's deep blue and copaiba. Um, you can rub it anywhere. You can put it on your pelvic area. You can rub it on your shoulder, on your back. You're good to go. Um, what else would I say? Your go-tos. You just got to have. go-tos. I would say got to have. So it would be Clary Calm, Deep Blue, and then Digest Zen. 
there's all of these things going on with your digestion. May it be constipation, may it be diarrhea, may it be the crazy bloating. I love digestin because you can buy the oil. So you can get the oil just like this and you can put it under your tongue. Two or three drops under your tongue will help with nausea and bloating. You can also drop it inside of your navel to calm down any type of abdominal issues. You can rub it all over your pelvic area. If you have a castor oil pack, which I think anyone with the uterus should have one, you can also put the digestin under there. It'll help with gut dysbiosis, the bloating, and really just balancing that good and bad bacteria. Because even though, I'm going to add this in, yes, okay. you have endometriosis and there's endolesions, but when you have all that inflammation, all that bacteria and fungus and stuff starts getting backed up in there, that's going to not go in and wipe away the lesions, but it is going to decrease that inflammation and really help with that gut dysbiosis. Yes, ma'am. So those would be my three. We've got your Clary Calm, your Deep Blue, and then your Digestin. Those are and you you have a place where people can get that, right, Dr. Eldridge? Yes, we'll give you the right. link. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So it'll be yeah. in there. I think you gave it in the form. So it will definitely be at the um in the notes of the podcast. So you can go and get all of these things from um Dr. LJ because she is on it. And then you also have the links where you'll be able to follow her too, so you can get even more information. Um, regards to it. But like I told y'all at the beginning, the part that I really love about Dr. LJ is that she's functional with it. And um, she was able to break down what functional really means. And she was telling me about her MRT blood test. And you can tell them what the MRT yeah. stands for. But I think that's when it gets really individualized and specialized mm -hmm. approach when you really know what you really need to know. And we know it's functional versus conventional. And conventional is basically what we're already doing in the regular healthcare mm -hmm. system where they're just doing labs just to tell you what's wrong versus doing labs to see how your body responds. So I just mm -hmm. want you to hit a little bit on how you are so special when it comes to functional nutrition um, and why that's key when you're really trying to heal, Dr. LJ. Yeah. The easiest way I like to describe it is conventional is amazing, right? We need it. We need the diagnosis. But when you're dealing with conventional, that is to diagnose you with the problem. Some of you are listening to this right now and you're like, okay, great. I got all the problems. Where's the solution? That's where you're going to have to transition over into functional medicine, holistic and naturopath, because we want you to be functioning at 110%. And that's what I say for me. Everybody else ain't going at 100. I'm trying to get you to that 110 because I know with that chronic illness battery, you may already be at a negative 25. So I'm going to have to do a little extra, right? Podcast number two, we'll talk about that. So with functional medicine, we are looking for more root cause. It's not just I'm bloated. I can't lose weight. I don't have energy. I have period pain. I understand that. And we're not dismissing it. But we want to know, why are you having period pain? You know, why are you so bloated? Are you, you know, is there a food allergy? Is there food sensitivity? Is there a structural issue? We dig deeper versus just giving you a supplement for every symptom. And I think in the beginning, we were very eager to just get off the pharmaceuticals and then do all the supplements. But some of you guys, I call it throwing supplements, spaghetti at the wall. You're taking all these supplements and getting nowhere, but it's because you don't know exactly what your root cause is. And so I will just say this. If you want to get more bang for your buck, you really need to find out what your root cause is. And I'm going to say this as well. Endometriosis is not your root cause. It is your body giving you a check engine light. I'm not dismissing your pain. I'm not gaslighting. I'm just letting you know that all of these things that you've been diagnosed with, those are not your root issues. Your root issues are going to be things like your gut health, you know, making sure that you're, you know, not dealing with heavy metals, gut bacteria, 
um, different things like parasites and pathogens and inflammation. Those things exasperate that long list of chronic illnesses and also bring some of them to the table, right? So if we can get to some more of the root cause, then you're not always feeling bad. I talked to someone today and I think it's very interesting. She's like, I got rid of the candida but now it's back. I got rid of this, but every two years this happens. If this is a cycle for you, then whatever you're doing is helping with the symptoms, but it's not coming to the root cause, right? So if you've got a lot of things going on in your gut and this, that, and the other, then yeah, the bloating will do well for a little bit. You'll do a water cleanse, you'll do a detox, but it's always going to kind of creep back because you didn't get to the root cause. Yes. And typically with endometriosis, baby, they're going to be more than one root cause. They're going to be more than one thing that needs to be addressed. And so that's when you need a team. You need someone to really put all the pieces together. Agree. And I, I appreciate you for um, breaking that down and being able to um, elaborate and expand a little bit more about functional versus conventional and just how, like you said, a team is necessary because your body is complex and you have a lot going mm -hmm. on and you have to take that time to be intentional about your healing journey, to do everything you need to do in order to know what you need to know in order to empower yourself to keep going so you can have a better quality of life. So yes. the last two questions we got. So I kind of already led into it a little bit more. Um, it's just what advice would you give to um, girl dads or single girl dads who are raising girls when it comes to being a part of that conversation of women's health? You, you've got 26 years in it, um, 25, 26 years in women's health. What, what tips are you giving these fathers in regards to how they could help with this womanly journey um, for a young female? First thing I would say is remove the awkwardness. It is a natural bodily function. If you bring the awkwardness to the table, it's going to make them uncomfortable. If you just talk to them and be like, hey, what's going on? I noticed that you're moody. I noticed you're not feeling well. What can I do to help? Versus like, I know you got attitude all the time. You know, like there's just the way that sometimes even moms can approach it, right? Just be willing to listen and ask them, what can I do to serve you, right? Probably do a little research myself. I'm going to throw my podcast out there, right? That just give you a little education. Do some education and research so that you have some tools. Because I think sometimes they're just, you don't know what you don't know. Your daughter, she's 15 or 13 years old. She doesn't know, right? You're a full grown man, right? You're going to have to do, that's part of parenting. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to learn and get some tools in your toolbox so that she can have quality of life. Because a lot of girls are going to suffer in silence. They don't want to go to their dad and talk about it. They just are in pain. You know, they're just popping Midol and ibuprofen and all of that. And that's overworking their liver. They're not able to concentrate properly at school. So I think it works all the way through, right? Making sure they're not in pain is probably going to be better grades. They're going to have a better attitude. They're going to be better at sports. You know, they're not going to have a hard time waking up. You know, if they're tossing and turning in pain all night, then yeah, it's going to be real hard to get them up and running in the morning. So it's they're probably really going to love themselves a little bit more too. And not yeah. just think that they're broken as you, you spoke on at 14, you know? Yeah. Like what's wrong with me? What, you know, why me? What's the problem? Yeah. It can take care of all of that. I agree. And then the last question would be, if you could have a meal with any historical figure, who would it be? And what would you all eat? Wow. That's a good question. I am not a foodie. Number one. So what food? I don't know. I'm not moved by food. I think it's also just coming from the endo journey of always having those sensitivities and allergies. And now that I'm over it, I think it's like I'm better. I can eat, you know, essentially whatever. But I just 
I'm not a foodie. Baby, I want to sit with Jesus. I need to know some answers about some of this stuff. <laughs> I want to be with the Lord himself. I want to know what the heck. <laughs> That's what I want to do. We can eat whatever. I don't care about food, so we can eat whatever. So you have a fish that he got? Uh, yeah, I guess on the loaves and fishes. That's a guy. So you would Turn that water into wine. Food. I'll take it. <laughs> All right. So at least we know what you're eating and what you're drinking and who you're doing it with. Yes. (laughs) So I'm all for it. All right. Well, y'all, again, this was an amazing episode with Dr. LJ, the holistic endo expert. Um, She has a wonderful podcast. I listen to it while I'm out moving and grooving as well. Part of her Facebook group community. um, And I love her on Instagram and share her content all the time. So it's an absolute pleasure to have you just be here and bless me with so much wisdom and knowledge. And I hope it also helps others who um, also, oh, we didn't talk about endometriosis, conquerors versus um, warriors, but we can get onto that if you want to on the next episode or the next part two to this. And I'm excited that you're all for that. But I just appreciate you. um, And I hope those who are overcoming Mm -hmm. symptoms of endometriosis, PCOS, adenomyosis, fibroids, anything, I hope you know that there's still hope and that you just need to find the right team and you just can't give up. You're not broken. There's still lots of life in you. You just have to love on you enough to be intentional to continue to take that step to heal. Your healing is your journey. What worked for me, what worked for Dr. LJ may not work for you, but you need to find out what does work for you because you deserve to live a better life and to live your best life. So thank you again, Dr. LJ. To everybody else, thank you for listening to another episode of the Empowered Plates, Empowered Lives. And most importantly, thanks for vibing with us, y'all. Thanks for having me. You're welcome.